All right, God bless you, everybody. Um, Before we begin, let's go ahead and uh, have another short word of prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for this morning. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to come and hear your word. Lord, that you have not hidden it from us. You have not hidden from us your face or your will or your ways. But Lord, you love us. You care for us. You came and died for our sins on our behalf, even while we were unworthy. Even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, as your word says. And so we just thank you for that truth. We thank you for the hope that is only in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we pray that you would just give us open hearts, open minds, open ears to hear and receive your word with a joyful obedience, Father, and that you would grant us all understanding for your namesake. So, Lord Jesus, we just confess and we submit to you that you are the king of this kingdom, Lord, that you are the pastor of this church, and we honor you as such. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. All right. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 19, says this. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, what hope is there? This morning, we're going to be continuing our series on the elementary principles of Christ, talking about the resurrection of the dead, okay? And this is a very, very important subject. Of course, it ties in very closely to the following subject, which is eternal judgment, which we probably could have done in one message, but um, to not go over time, which is very possible, I decided to keep them separate. And we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 15 today. And we're going to see that Paul is actually answering some very basic questions um, using some very basic logic. But he's addressing that the church, and there were some people even claiming to be Christians, um, even claiming to be part of the church, who was saying, oh, there is no resurrection of the dead. There is no life after death. And in fact, the, the Sadducees in Jesus' day, there were Pharisees and Sadducees. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection you know, and so today, at least among the Christian community, that's probably not a very prominent view that there's no resurrection from the dead, but it is a view. And it's very under- important to understand the hope of the gospel is the hope of eternal life. And it becomes difficult to obtain that if there's no resurrection. So today we're going to cover this topic and we're going to start in 1 Corinthians 15, uh, verse 12. Paul writes, Now if Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how does some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. So very, very simple logic. It doesn't take a a whole lot of uh, great, wise words to get that point across. But, you know, I want to take a second to to cover something here. 
So just recently, I intentionally joined a Facebook group that's called like Biblical Discussions and Questions or something. And there's all these people there who are just, they obviously have no counsel in their life. I don't have, probably a lot of them don't even go to church. You know what I mean? Some of them may not even be saved. And they're just asking questions and asking questions and asking questions. And sometimes they get some really good answers and sometimes they don't at all. Um, and most of the time, the answers are opinions. They're not really biblically based. Um, but, you know, for us as Christians, it's very important to, to carefully consider the things that we say and affirm, okay? And, for example, again, there are Christians who are believing in Jesus, claiming to have received the salvation in Christ, but then trying to say that there's no resurrection of the dead, and I bet you they were very, you know, proud of their arguments on that point and totally oblivious to, A, how foolish that even is, and B, how the implications of what they're saying completely contradict the gospel message, okay? And we as Christians can very easily do that. And I want to warn you, as I warn everywhere I teach, about doing that about why, what are you affirming and why are you affirming them? How strongly do you hold to the things you believe and for what reason? Is it because you read one verse and got some, some advice from some friend who's about, you know, just as clueless as you, who had a really strong opinion? I mean, is that the basis of, of what you believe on a certain subject? Are you willing to argue with people and have heated debates over something that you really don't even understand from Scripture? Because that's a very bad place to be, okay? Um, and it's very, very common. And again, on this, on this group, you know, I start sharing scriptures and I start proving points. And after sharing six scriptures that all say the same thing, I have someone come on, oh, well, we believe, yada, 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 not a single scripture. They don't ever address the fact that everything they're saying is totally contrary to the first six scriptures I just posted. They don't ever stop to say, hey, you're actually missed, those are not in context, let me explain it to you. They don't say, oh, no, those are incorrect, here's why. They just ignore them because they have a biased view about a subject, okay? The, the beautiful thing about Christianity is we have a, we're a religion of truth, of truth. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Over and over and over and more and more and more as the day and technology and history and archaeology advances, all of science and history is showing that Christianity and the words of Scripture are true. They have yet to prove or provide anything other than that. In Israel today, there is a law. You cannot dig or build on any new land unless people go and dig and test the soil first. And day after day after day after day, year after, month after month, they're finding more and more and more archaeological sites with more and more evidence of Israel's history and the authenticity of the scriptures. And I know, because I was just there in December, and I saw some of these sites. I laid my hands on the stones, on the elements. I went through dirt myself and washed the dirt and pulled out pottery and, 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 and um, tile and things, and, I, and was helping to identify what time period. I did this with my own hands. I saw this with my own eyes, okay? We, we serve a God of all truth, and truth is very important to a God of truth. That seems to make sense. And so we need to be very careful what we affirm, why we affirm it. Do you have really even the basis to affirm that? 
and see what are the implications of what you're even saying. For example, I hear this all the time. Oh, I'm saved. Oh, I know I'm saved. I'm never going back. I'm this, you know, whoo. But you can lose your salvation. Okay, let's, let's think about the implications of that. If you can lose your salvation, or if I can lose your salvation, then you're not saved. You're on your way to being saved. You feel saved at the moment, but tomorrow you might not be. And if we say that someone has been saved, but then they lose their salvation and go to hell, what were they saved from? And if they're not saved from anything, then how can you call them saved? See, there's very simple logic there that invalidates those points, but we don't think and consider about these things. We're just so bold in our own opinions because we want to be. That is not good. That is not good. There is a reason why we're going through these elementary principles of Christ. There's a reason why I print out a list of scriptures here. It's not to bore you. It's to convince you of the truth, that this is not my opinion. This is what the word of God clearly says. And that is when you can have a conviction. And that is when you can argue with somebody definitively because you're not arguing your point. You're arguing the authenticity and the reliability of God's written word. Then you're in a good place to argue. And so Paul is dealing with the same thing. This is not a difficult point. Paul is saying, are you serious? If Christ has preached that he's been raised from the dead, how do you say there's no resurrection today? That's a con- you're contradicting your own faith. And if there's no resurrection, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, our preaching to you, which you have accepted and are walking in, is empty. Oh, by the way, your faith in Christ is also empty if he did not die and be raised again. If he did not conquer the grave, if he did not conquer sin, then you're still in your sins. Do you not understand how foolish of a concept that would even be? For if the dead do not rise, verse 16, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they're perished. There's no hope for them either. Of course, just to cut to the chase, what does Jesus say? and How does he answer um, the Sadducees? He says, God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. Right? He says, I am the father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? If in this life only we have hope in Christ, man, People should feel real bad for us. You know, verse 19. This is so important. The gospel message, um, and I've harped on this before, and I'll probably never stop harping on it because it's so important. This whole, I even have a one-hour podcast on this subject because it's so important to me. Um, all we need to do is agree on the gospel. Amen? Don't say amen. Please don't say Amen. I hear that all we got to do is, if we agree on the gospel, you know, everything else, we can just, you know, well, okay, well, where does the gospel start and end? If you can be saved by Jesus, but if we disagree on whether or not we're going to be resurrected, well, what gospel are we preaching? And if you think that you're saved by Jesus, but you're not going to resurrect, is that good news? Is that the gospel that we agree on? If you say, oh, we're saved by Jesus, but we're going to be judged by our works, is that good news? Is that the gospel of Jesus Christ? If you say, oh, we're going we're to be saved by Jesus, but we got to figure it out now and we're on our own, 
You know, do your best help, and then if you really can't figure it out, maybe you can call on God. And if he's busy, if he's not too busy, he'll answer you. Is that good news? Is that the good news that we're preaching? If the Holy Spirit, you know, blessed the apostles and gave them gifts, but, oh, you know, he didn't have time to give them to us today. They stopped. Is that good news? Is that what Christ brought? Do you see what I'm saying? These points are important for the gospel. It's, it's, it's the, all of these, these five subject matters that we're going over in these elementary principles of Christ, they're not five su- separate subjects. They're five parts of the gospel. And they all correlate to what Christ has done and is doing in our lives today. And they're very important to know. And if we say, oh, well, we, we preach Christ, and I have, I have cut off, I have circumcised the flesh from my heart. I no longer drink. I no longer party. I no longer do drugs. I no longer sleep around. I'm not going to cheat on my wife. You know, I'm not going to be a drunkard. I'm not going to slander people. I'm not going to use profane language. I'm going to honor the Lord. I'm going to be hated. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to have to choose between Christ and my family, Christ and my friends. I'm going to have to go wherever he sends me, even if it means I end up with only the clothes on my back to proclaim the gospel, and then I'm going to die and there's going to be nothing. I might as well live it up now. And this is what Paul says. We're going to go a little out of order because I'm, I'm, I'm stacking um, the passages of this scripture in a way that I think makes a little bit more sense for the sake of our conversation. In 1 Corinthians 15, 29 through 32, Paul writes, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Which, by the way, he never makes a point to say that that's a good practice. Okay? There's nothing in the scripture, there's no doctrine or teaching about baptizing people for the dead. But he's saying the people were doing that. And if they're not going to rise up, then why even waste the time? Okay? Why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do people, or and why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? Everywhere Paul went, he was facing death threats and eventually was beheaded by Nero because of his witness for Christ. Not because he broke laws, not because he slapped anybody, not because he was malicious, but because he preached Jesus. And he says, why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If in the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, What advantage is it to me if the dead do not rise? Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. That is the hope of the world. Let us eat and drink. We need the biggest barn. We need the best jet skis. We need the nicest car, because tomorrow we die. And this is it for us. That is not the gospel message. Jesus came to save sinners from their sins so that they could have a relationship empowered by the Holy Spirit with God the Father today. So that they could be freed from every spiritual bondage today. So that they could be filled with hope and peace today that their depression would be cast out, that their emptiness would be cast out, that their their lack of purpose would be cast out. And they would understand that they have an eternal significance, that you have an eternal significance. And what you do here today is important because it's pointing to the reality that when your flesh fades, you will stand before Christ and you will see your king face to face. And he will welcome you into an eternal kingdom that is forever, where there will be no pain, there will be no death, there will be no sin or sorrow. Those things will be dealt, or dealt with once and for all. And we will be in the glory of the king, and we will be rewarded even 
for the jeopardies and the slanders and the sacrifices of this life. Because everything you see here is temporary. It's going to be gone just like that. You know, I'm so convicted, man. I, I, uh, I had these two sweaters, right? Hear me out, okay? Dude, these sweaters were so nice, okay? I grew up poor. I didn't even know what cashmere was, okay? I got these two cashmere, like pure cashmere sweaters for like 60 bucks each or like 40 bucks each. They were on like a clearance. Dude, that was like the nicest thing I've ever put on my body, ever, okay? These things were bad to the bone. And uh, <clears throat> so I wore them all summer. I had a blue one. I had like a tan one. It was like a V-neck. And it was like really thin, but really, really warm. It was crazy. And I wore them all winter long. It was really nice. And then the next summer, I put them up in, the, put them up in my, my closet, right? And the following year, I'm so excited to pull these out because I just like them. They look nice. They feel nice. You know what I mean? It's just kind of my style. I just, I just really like them. And, uh, man, there was moth holes all in my cashmere sweaters, man. Like, I still wore them. I don't even care. I was like, I got a hole right here and a hole right here. That's how ghetto I am. I don't really care what people think. I like it just because I like it. I don't care what you think about them. Um, and, man, they got moth holes in it. Well, one of them, I could, it, just, it was just too bad. I couldn't wear, you know, yeah, holy, there you go. Exactly. One of them was too bad. I really couldn't wear it. The other one was okay, but then they started getting worse. And, man, I just kept thinking about, about James, I believe it was, talking to the rich man and uh, to those who desire to be rich in this world, that the corrosion of their goods and the moth holes of their clothing would be witness against them on the day of judgment because that's what they chased after in this world rather than submitting their lives and hearts and values to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, thankfully, my life is not, does not consist of chasing after cashmere sweaters. I just happen to really like those. But all the same, it was a good reminder. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But now, Christ is. Everybody say that with me. Christ is risen from the dead. And he has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him, being the father to the son, is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God may be all in all. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? Oh, I'm sorry, this is uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 49. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases and to each seed its own body. So what is he saying? He's saying, man, you got a, you got a handful of seeds you're not planting little baby trees that become real big trees, right? You're not, you don't have a bush 
that you just plant underground and it becomes a bigger bush. No, there is, there is a specific body. It's got its own glory. It's very small. It's very minuscule. You've ever looked at the seed? There's not much to really go ooh and awe about. But you know what happens when you put it in the ground? It dies. That outer shell, everything, it dies. But then some, some new life sprouts out of it. And those massive trees we see around the hill country, down by the river, the redwood trees in California, these magnificent uh, uh, things of creation at one point started out as a little seed, maybe a little bigger seed, I don't know. Okay? And he's saying in the same way, your bodies, what you see right now is not the way we will be seen in the future. That all of us come to the end of this life, it's very quick, very short, and when we're put in the ground, man, there is new life that we will experience in Christ and the glory of those resurrection bodies when we stand before the Father will be something so incomparable to this corrupted flesh. Jesus, I love the depiction of Jesus in Revelation. It talks about him having eyes like fire and his skin being like, like, like glowing bronze and there's this magnificence of his presence that's almost indescribable in the new heavens, in the in, in, in the heavenly places. And we will be like him in his kingdom. There is glory to look forward to. In verse 40, he says, look, there's also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the celestial is one, the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon and the glory of the stars. For one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. Your body is sown in corruption and it is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. In case you did not know, now you know. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. But the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural. And afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. So when it talks about the first Adam and the last Adam, when it talks about the first and the second, he's talking about Adam and he's talking about Christ. Okay, just so everybody is on board with what's the, the analogy he's making here. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As the man of dust, so... As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. That's all of us. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. What is he saying? He's saying that in the resurrection, we are going to be transformed from these earthly bodies to reflect the glory of, of, of God, of Christ, as he now is. And we're going to share in that image and in that that new creation. This is also why it says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 and 14, I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep. You know, it's very interesting. Um, there, is this, there is this false assumption or this false teaching, and it's very prevalent, especially when people, like I said, people who are not well educated, but they want to they hold on to their point regardless of what proof there is. Um, it's very prevalent in those circles. Oh, well, you know, the Bible is not really for us to understand. 
oh, well, you know, there's, but everybody interprets the Bible differently, you know. No. No, 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 no. Okay. When an author writes a novel, we're not even talking about non, we're talking about fiction. When he writes a spy novel, there's not eight endings that depends on the reader. There's one. There's one author, one message, one plot, one ending. You know who determines it? The author. But in any literary sense, in any genre of writing, okay, it's very clear. People don't write things to be confusing. Unless you're, you know, a bad writer or a very abstract artist. Sometimes they do that. It's okay. But typically, when people have a message that they're trying to convey, they intentionally write it in a way that people can understand the message. That's kind of the whole point. The Bible is a God-inspired book, but it's also a book. And it was written for that purpose. And several, several times, well, maybe not several, there's a couple times, in the New Testament, Paul writes, hey, on this subject... I don't want you to be ignorant. Listen to what I'm telling you, and I will explain it. It is, not, it is not some sort of mystical book that you need special knowledge to figure out. It's a big book that we got to read a lot, okay? But the answers are there. I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Everybody say hope. That's such an important word in the Scriptures. We're going to get, come back to that. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, which we do, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And guys, that is the hope of the gospel. That is the back end of the message we preach. That not by our works, not by our worth, not by our own doing or our own glory, but by the full work and finished work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who paid sin's penalty for us, that by entrusting ourselves in him, he himself holds our salvation in heaven, that his Holy Spirit is our guarantee, that he will raise us up according to his own righteousness. And this we believe, and this we must preach. Because if that's not true, man, I've lost a lot of friends for no reason. I've been hated and slandered by a lot of people for no reason. I might as well just be real nice and let everybody think whatever they want and go home. If this is all about opinion, I just won't share mine. I'll just keep it to myself and live my life, but it's not. There is something that we have. We have hope. We have a desire. and We have a present founded expectation in the fact that our hope is proven that Christ rose from the grave. And I have walked in that empty tomb. I have seen Golgotha with my own eyes. I have experienced the power of God. And just as he proved it by the resurrection that he brought him, he took up his own life, so he is able to raise up those who follow him. As he says himself, and we'll close with this, in John 6, 38 through 40. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of, father, of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And that 
is our confidence and our hope in Christ. And that, my brothers, is what we need to set our eyes on. Our treasure is not here. Our treasure is in heaven. Our hope is in heaven. Our expectation is in heaven. And if we set our minds on the things that are above, as the scripture says, and not on the things below, there's a very good expectation that it will change our values. It will change what we pursue. It will change how we speak. I, I challenge you to this. I want you to spend one day, maybe today, maybe tomorrow, I want you to spend one day and I want you to constantly re- refresh your mind and I want you to think about how everything you do and say that day is going to affect your position in heaven and you're going to have to answer to that before God. I want to just see how that affects the way you walk because our hope is not here. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the affirmation of your word, Lord, that your word is verity, absolute truth. Your word says, let the word of God be true and every man a liar. And so, Lord, we only have hope when we agree with you, Lord. And so, Jesus, help us to agree with you. Help us to believe. Help us to hope in that resurrection, Lord God, that through every trial and trouble, Lord, it's a very small thing in comparison to the glory that you will bring us in your kingdom. So we honor you, Lord. Fill us with joy as we consider the work that you have done on our behalf. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.